you know, the reason for this is, is fairly obvious. Big things have deeper voices than little things. Elephants, deeper than mice. And you need to worry more about big things than you do about little things, because they tend to be a lot more serious and dangerous. So we have this connection that deep voices are more to be taken seriously. I want to connect the listeners to the best of the best. Welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast. I am your host, Pat Costello, the co-founder and principal at Evolve MJ. Our mission for the podcast is to bring the insurance industry the best of the best. In this episode, I got a chance to connect with the top-rated international speaker on sounds and communication skills. His name is Julian Treasure, and his five TED Talks have been watched more than 100 million times. His TED Talk, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen, is the number seven most viewed TED Talk of all time. Quality communication is the cornerstone of success. It allows us to be persuasive, memorable, and create change. Many times at the workplace, we wonder why we're not being heard. We also may wonder why others may not be listening. Julian's mission is to help people and organizations listen better and create healthier and more effective sound, including speaking. This includes speaking in front of audiences or speaking conversationally with a coworker, family member, or friend. I spoke with him about how to prepare and deliver an excellent talk, major habits to avoid when speaking, and tools that will make our words more powerful. Please download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And feel free to reach out to me at pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose FIRST as your primary financing source and experience the FIRST difference today. Without further ado, here's Julian. Julian, welcome to the Evolve Broker Podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. In your TED Talk, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen, you walk the audience through a warm-up. And I was actually thinking of doing the warm-up prior to our recording, but I thought it'd be a lot more valuable if we just did it live on camera so the audience could be aware of it. As we're jumping into this, would you mind walking me through the warm-up that you advise that people do before they're about to um, have a big conversation or give a big talk? Of course, yeah. It's uh, there are many, many, many warm-up exercises that uh, theatrical people do, uh, actors do, singers do, and so forth. Uh, so these are easy ones that I've collected over the years that I find I can do pretty much anywhere. You know, if there's a backstage area, if I'm doing a big talk, or if there's even a bathroom. Uh, without too many people in it, because they will think you're slightly strange if you go <laughs> and start doing these things. Right. Uh, so a couple of important pieces of equipment, really, that we need to make sure that we've got on our side. The first is the lungs. Your voice mm. is just breath. Mm. 
And it's it's often the case that we go a whole day without actually taking a, a really deep breath and expanding our lungs and our chest. So let's do that now. We're going to breathe okay. deeply in. Uh, if you like, you can raise your arms and then we're going to kind of moan out. So... <sighs> like that. <sighs> okay, so... For anybody who's practicing along with us, that may be the first deep breath you've taken today. It's a really good thing if you care about your voice to develop a breathing practice. We can talk more about that later, perhaps. Okay. Second very important piece of equipment is the lips. Now, uh, there are two exercises we can do for the lips. The first is to do what you would have done when you were little, when you were cold, which is just to go... That's it. Good stuff, Patrick. You've got it. And the other one is a pronounced bo, B-O-H, if you like, bo. bo. And uh, you really want to make the lips work on this. So bo, 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 bo. Very good. Now, you may feel now that your lips have somewhat woken up, which is the objective there. They do the feel next, different. They do definitely feel different. Good, good stuff. The next very important piece of equipment for us is the tongue, uh, because when your tongue's not with you, you know, it's very difficult to speak properly. It's not quite going to work. So two exercises for the tongue. The first is la, but in a very pronounced way. So this is like press-ups for the tongue almost. You go right from the back of your palate to the front in a very exaggerated way. So... La 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 Very good. And the other exercise which took me months to practice because I never used to be able to do this is to roll an R. So you go That's it. Now your mouth is fully awake and ready to give its best for you. And the final exercise is one for the vocal cords. And this is the one I will do if I only have time for one uh -huh. or if I can only do one for whatever reason. This is the most important one. Okay. The actors call it the siren. Okay. And what we do is we go we or the we is as high as you can go and the or is as low as you can go. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of like a sine wave going from high to low to high to low. So here we go. That's it. Now you may, as you're doing that, spot some discontinuities, some breaks, and then you can smooth those out by doing this. And you'll also find that after doing this a few times, your voice may pitch down at least a tone. And so that's a wonderful exercise to get your vocal cords with you. So there you are, some simple vocal warm-ups, whether you're proposing marriage or standing uh, about to stand on stage in front of 10,000 people, they're worth doing. Thank you so much for helping us start off with that. Is there like a drink or something that you'd recommend? Like I know a lot of singers seem to drink tea. Is there anything mm. like that that you think helps? 
Oh, there are a lot of physical things. Uh, in my course, my wonderful fiance Jane Majendi, who's a four-time world champion martial artist and yoga expert, does a whole chapter called Fit to Speak. Mm. And it's a non-trivial thing. You know, you would think, oh, I would just walk on stage and speak. But no, actually, warming up not just the voice, but the body is very important. So there are all sorts of stretches you can do to uh, start testosterone flowing around your body. I don't know if you've seen okay. Amy Cuddy's famous TED TED talk on throwing power poses, you know, just like this, uh -huh. making yourself bigger immediately releases testosterone into your body and makes you feel stronger and more confident and it combats nerves. Cool. So that's a good thing to do in a bathroom before you're uh, on stage. If you're feeling nervous, just a few of these and you start All to right. feel much better. Uh, but yes, in yeah. terms of preparing yourself, otherwise nutrition and hydration are very important. So mm. Ideal not to eat a huge sugary thing an hour before you go on stage or you're, you're going to talk uh, because you'll be in sugar crash oh. right when you don't need it. Uh, so long burn things, porridge is great, you know, fruit um, or not the sugary type of fruit, but um, something perhaps longer glycemic, lower glycemic index that's going to keep you going for the period you need. And yes, hydration, absolutely crucial. So okay. room temperature water is good to sip, okay. uh, ideally not freezing cold drinks and not piping hot drinks. Uh, and herbal tea with honey in it is excellent. Um, I love coffee, but I Me do too. try not to overindulge in coffee just before I go on stage for two very good reasons. One is coffee's a diuretic and that can become pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, that's the other thing to remember on stage by the way is a quick visit to the bathroom i mean i've i've had talks where i've been sitting in the audience for a long time before going on and it can get very awkward you know you uh -huh. can feel very uncomfortable and it removes your consciousness your concentration um but uh yeah uh, coffee perhaps yeah. not because it stimulates you and it can overstimulate you so your heart rate is already going to be up a little bit if you're nervous yeah. um so herbal tea honey warm lovely or room temperature water sipping it almost gargle i mean i often do gargle with room temperature water before i go on stage you okay. know just tip the head back and oh, yeah. like that with the water it's all lubricating those vocal cords which they are your your best partner and that you really need to look after them yeah i'm excited because all this advice is so timely for me because next week i actually have to give a best man speech yeah well there you are yeah. crucial uh, so uh, I'm sure you've got the jokes all lined up and uh, you can visualize yourself, but we can talk about, you know, all the aspects of public speaking, uh -huh. if you like, uh, because I didn't really have time to get into that in that TED talk about how to speak so that people want to listen. Yeah. I did pitch it to TED originally. Uh -huh. uh, I said, I want to do talk and public speaking all in one. And they said, that's too much. Oh, and wow. Right. It would have been too much. Well, so, um, yeah, I do a whole chapter on, on public speaking in my, in my course. And, you know, th this is the thing that many people find very intimidating, mm -hmm. very scary making, because, you know, the great nightmare that we all have is walking on stage and drying up, mm -hmm. looking like an idiot in front of many people. Uh, and that sort of strikes terror into our hearts for some reason. It must be to do with ego. It must be to do with our, you know, our sense of self-worth and our need to be respected and liked mm -hmm. and so forth. But uh, when you 
when you're talking in public, when you're standing there and there's a room of a hundred or a thousand or however many it is looking at you, there's nowhere to hide. You are the center of attention. And that's why I love it, you know, because it's the time in life when you have to be most conscious. Mm. And to me, all of my work about speaking and about crucially listening, which is even more important, is all about enhancing consciousness, being more present in life, mm. in doing. So, you know, when you're standing there, every gesture needs to be conscious. The way you stand needs to be conscious. Your mm. pace, your your prosody, every, all the, what I call the, um, the vocal toolbox, all the tools in that vocal toolbox need to be deployed consciously. Mm. That is such a joy because you're really in touch with who you are as a human being and how you're connecting with people and you're doing it intentionally, consciously, and hopefully beautifully. Julian, do you have any advice for someone that's trying to get more comfortable on stage when speaking to a large crowd? Well, I have a little acronym that I uh, deploy about public speaking as you're going onto the stage. I mean, the, the, we can talk about content uh, in a minute, mm -hmm. because knowing what you're going to say is really important. Right. So let's assume you, um, the, the, the first acronym I, I use is PPD, which is practice, prepare, deliver. And that's what Olympic athletes will do, except they don't talk about deliver, they talk about execute their game plan or their whatever it is, their race. So I talk about practice, that is practicing the skill of public speaking which of course you can do in many different ways. I mean, there's things like Toastmasters all over the world mm -hmm. uh, where you can go and practice talking in front of people and just get more and more comfortable. It's like riding a bike. It's like doing anything. The first time you ever drove a car, you knew your fingers were welded to the wheel and you were absolutely terrified. Mm -hmm. Now, when you drive a car, you're thinking about anything but driving a car. You're unconsciously competent now. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of getting to that stage past the consciously competent to the unconsciously competent stage, and you do that by practice. Then when you know you've got a talk to give, it's prepare. That's rehearse, 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 rehearse. Mm -hmm. Not to the point where you're a robot, but to the point where you know it so well you can jazz with it mm -hmm. and you're, you're comfortable with it. So that first TED talk I gave back in 2009 about the four effects of sound that was the first time anybody had ever used sound in a TED talk. And so I rehearsed it to death. I mean, I must have done it 50 times before I went to TED. Mm -hmm. So I knew it well enough that when I, when I walked on stage there, I was really happy and excited to be delivering it. And I had no fear that I was going to forget where I was or not know what I was going to say next. Mm. And as I say, crucially, happy enough and comfortable enough to jazz with it. So I don't read words it's it's made up on the spot but i know exactly where i'm going mm -hmm. and then the deliver well let's talk about that so you're sitting in the audience you're about to walk up on stage in front of your wedding audience or in front of however many people it might be for whatever it might be and the acronym here is s and that stands the very first one is really important breathe you know, if you're feeling very nervous, your voice could go a little bit like, yeah, you know, everybody, I'm happy. You know, and that can happen to all of us if we're very nervous. What's the antidote to that? Breathe. A huge in-breath, 
and that will calm your nerves, it will settle your voice, and of course it is the fuel for your voice. Your voice is just breath, as I said earlier. So a deep in-breath, prepared to speak, and you're, you're, you're fueled up and uh, less nervous. The E of Beth, uh, Bess, uh, it, as you walk on stage and turn to face the audience, is to expand your awareness. I am not uh, a fan of the adage of speaking to one person at a time. I've seen many speakers do that and they get stuck on one person actually. So that person sitting in the audience going, why is it, why is he keep looking at me? <laughs> uh, that I've seen that so many times, or you, you bounce between two people and just, you know, end up talking to two people. Everybody else feels ignored. I love taking in the whole room. And the way you do that is by focusing on your peripheral vision, not your kind of or focused vision. Mm. So you can practice that very easily by putting your fingers up here and wiggling them and then just moving your hands back to the point where you can only just see the wiggle. Try that now, mm. everybody, and you'll find that your forehead smooths out. Your face looks less, you know, when we're focused, we, we get a bit frowny and like that. And as you do this, your face will open out. <clears throat> and if you're in that state, then you can see the whole room at the same time. You're still going to kind of look around and be conversational with the audience, but you see all of them all the time. Mm. And that's very, very useful. So I love connecting with the audience as a gestalt, you know, the audience as one person, yeah. not one person in the audience. When you're focusing so on the when you're focusing on the whole audience with your peripherals, are you doing any specific head movements to make sure you're if it's, you know, a large room, are you doing any specific head movements to make sure yeah. that at least they're feeling engaged? Yeah, absolutely. As mm -hmm. I say, I will, I will look around the room and I'll talk for a bit like this and then like this. And, you know, you, you glance from different part to different part and it's quite nice to cover them all. So they all feel that you're, you're connecting directly with them as long as you're seeing the whole lot all the time mm -hmm. and not focusing on one person over there. So that's the expand. And then there are two S's. Uh, in Bess. Um, the first S is stance. Now, this is really important in order to make a connection with people and to establish yourself as a powerful speaker. Over the years, uh, many years ago, I've done a number of quite long, you know, multi-day courses in public speaking and that kind of thing. And I remember one where, where the whole first day was on how you stand. And uh, they wouldn't let you gesticulate at all. So the people who are naturally like this had their hands down by their sides and their fingers were flapping madly because they weren't allowed to move their arms. <laughs> there is a, a kind of neutral stance you can get into that's very good to look at and not distracting. And not distracting people is a big part of this. Mm. So the way I get into that stance is a visualization, which uh, I will share with you and the audience right now. Okay. So you stand or you can do this sitting, we, you know, we're both sitting and do it sitting, visualize that you have a string attached to the top of your head and the entirety of you is dangling from that string. Mm. Immediately your shoulders fall down and back. Oh yeah. And if you're standing, you 
relaxed. You're not tense. It's not a locked up kind of tense, rigid stance. It's a loose, relaxed, potentially athletic stance where you're ready to move, but you're not moving. And if you're doing that, you're upright, not sort of hunched over, your shoulders aren't up, you're not lopsided like this, which is distracting if somebody's lopsided when they're speaking. Mm -hmm. And most of all, you're not evincing verbal, uh, uh, physical tics, which mm. are very distracting. Walking round and round on the spot, jiggling from leg to leg, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thing can be extremely distracting. So you're looking strong, confident, relaxed. And that visualization will do that. By the way, if you are somebody who has trouble standing still, you can also visualize roots going from your feet into the ground. Mm. And that's a very powerful visualization to root you to the spot. Now, I'm not saying don't move if you're, you know, like Buddy Robbins, is, he moves like a tiger on the stage. Right. So it's fine to move if who you are intentionally, consciously, mm -hmm. but not unconscious ticks, not, not the little walk five paces to the right, the little walk five paces to the left, and then repeat and repeat endlessly. That's just distracting to yep. everybody. Yep. Is he going over there again? Oh, there he goes. Oh, he's going back again now. Uh -huh. So, you know, it just gets in the way. And the final S of best, so you've got breathe, expand, stance. The final S, smile. <laughs> Hello, I'm happy to be here. Nice to see you. And you will find that many in the audience will smile back at you and you've immediately made an emotional connection. You said, I'm happy to be here. I'm confident. This is fun. It's going to be nice. Everything's good. All of that comes from one smile as opposed to looking terrified and, you know, what am I going to say next? Yeah. So even if you feel terrified, you know, a terrified smile is better than no smile at all. <laughs> so that's best. I like and it. If you operate best as you want, you're going to give it your best shot. Awesome. So PPD and best. Yeah, I love acronyms because I have a terrible memory. So it helps me. <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. Well, <clears throat> those are awesome tips for speaking in front of a large audience. And I know a lot of your content, especially in your TED Talks, is based on just, it could be for a large audience, but it also could just be uh, general communication with a coworker, with a boss, like you said, for mm -hmm. a, a proposal or um, just maybe a, a big conversation that you need to prepare for. You mentioned the seven deadly sins of speaking. Can you talk about those habits that we should avoid when having big talks or big conversations? Absolutely, yes. Uh, there are many things that many of us do that have the effect of making us harder to listen to, harder to understand, harder to be with. And so I want to be clear, I'm not saying these things are really sins. I mean, it's slightly tongue in cheek. They're not mm. things that you may not ever do, okay. not proscribed. But they are things that if they become kind of strong habits for you, they will make you harder to listen to. And they'll get in the way of you getting your message across, making a difference, enrolling people, inspiring people, you know, whatever, connecting with people, relating, whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So let's have a, a little run through the seven deadly sins of speaking. And incidentally, they also apply to listening pretty much as well. So 
The first one uh, is gossip. Now, I define gossip as speaking ill of somebody who's not present. So saying nice things about somebody who's not there, that's not gossip, that's fine. And mm. saying nasty things to somebody to their face, well, it may be rude, but it's not gossip. Mm -hmm. Gossip is kind of malicious because it's unkind, often untrue or exaggerated, or did you hear, I've just heard this, with no attribution, no checking, you know. And unfortunately, that's become a habit in the world, hasn't it? With the internet, we don't check, we don't fact check. We just, oh, did you see that? Mm -hmm. And pass it on. And that, hence, so much fake news and and um, distress is, is created in the world. So if, if you meet a gossip, it's a little bit uh, captivating, I suppose, in a way. There's a kind of um, guilty pleasure about mm -hmm. indulging in gossip. But we don't really believe gossips and we know that they're not that nice because they're doing this a lot mm -hmm. and often what they're saying is untrue we don't want to listen to a liar so i would advise abstain from gossip or keep away from it as much as possible and incidentally i did an exercise years ago of fully abstaining from gossip and when you carry that through that's really difficult you know you can barely consume any news media because so much of it is opinion gossip uh, unsubstantiated and so forth and certainly social media would be right out. So wow. uh, there are, there are you know, major implications to taking that on. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very interesting inquiry to think about the effect gossip has in our lives and yeah. in our souls. So, uh, so it's a, that's a significant. Yeah, quick question for you there, Julian. So you abstained from gossiping about anyone, but also consuming others' gossip. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. So yeah. was, I mean, was there conversations you're having where like someone was trying to gossip with you and you're like, you know, you had to exit the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, uh, you know, you can do that politely. Sorry, I've just forgotten. I must, uh, you know, a little, mm. I'm, I'm not advocating lying in conversation, but, the, you know, there are times, uh, as I said, you know, if we're going to talk about hail later on, honesty is absolutely crucial in communication. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, unscrupulous honesty, complete honesty may not be the answer, you know. Right. Oh, God, you're looking awful today. Well, <laughs> you don't have to say that, do you? It's not necessary. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, sometimes you can exit a conversation by <clears throat> coming up with something um, that's, you know, polite, yeah. uh, as opposed to saying, you are gossiping, I am going to leave, which may be a little bit forthright. <laughs> right. So gossip, the first of the sins. The second is uh, what you could call judgmentalism, really condemnation. The kind of parent whose child comes home and says, I got 95% in the test. And the response is, what happened to the other five? You know, nothing is ever good enough. Everybody is wrong. Everybody is to be criticized. <clears throat> I don't know if you ever saw that uh, brilliant film about drumming. What was it called? Uh, oh, I've forgotten its name now, but the... <clears throat> The hideous um, teacher's uh, comment is, uh, there are no two words in the English language more destructive than good job. Huh. So he's not a, he's not a fan of praise. <laughs> and uh, I think it's very important to be balanced in that. And, you know, it's just, it's wearing. We've all had bosses like that, haven't we, where they, <clears throat> they just tell people off the whole time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people have had parents like that as well. And it doesn't help. It's tough to be around. Growing up. It is very tough to be around. So 
that's judgmentalism. Uh, then we have complaining, uh, which is actually, now let me do negativity first. Mm -hmm. um, the story I told in the TED talk about my mother is absolutely true. Uh, towards the end of her life, she was in hospital. She'd broken a wrist and I took in a paper and I said, oh, look, it's October the 1st today. And uh -huh. she said, I know, isn't it dreadful? <laughs> right, well, right. You know, I got to say, I got to say, Julian, I feel like, I feel like, I don't know if that's a common thing with old age, but I just heard my, my parents recently talking about that with my grandparents and, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I think old age may bring on some sense of negativity. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm 64. And uh, so mortality, you know, definitely becomes more of a topic in your mind the older you get. Mm -hmm. uh, you wonder how many Christmases will I see? And, you know, you can get into negative spins on that or you can seek to enjoy and get the most, squeeze the most out of every second that you have which is a rather more positive approach. But I yeah. completely understand that, yes, people can go down, you know, the dark side on that one and mm -hmm. become quite negative towards the end of the day. There's not, there's not a lot of fun about becoming old, you know, th yeah. things ache. Yep. <laughs> things don't work so well, you know, <laughs> uh, and so So uh, I, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, unfortunately, my mother did become, you know, she, it was massively negative about everything. Mm -hmm. And it, it's wearing around somebody again who's completely negative. Oh, yeah. The sun's out. Oh, I bet it's going to rain later. Right. Oh, come on. Right. You know, you have to take a little walk away and regenerate positivity. Yeah. It is draining for sure. So moving, moving on from negativity to the next one, which is complaining, the English national pastime, as I described <laughs> it on the TED stage. I mean, English, British people generally are quite good at complaining. Um, I'm not talking about complaining if they bring you bad food in a restaurant, complain, of course. Uh, but it's complaining about things you can't fix, things you can't do anything about, the weather, sport, whatever it may be. You know, it's uh, it's viral misery. Yeah. And it's not a nice thing to do. Yeah. Things you have you know, no control to over. Be around. Yeah. And it becomes a habit. You know, I have met people who are so habitually into complaining. It It's just, again, it's kind of really wearing to be around them. Can't you take pleasure in anything? You know, come on. Uh, so that's complaining. Then we have uh, exaggeration uh, would be another one to consider. Hyperbole, which is the Greek for to throw beyond hyperbole. And um, there is a lot of that around these days. We, we do it unconsciously. A great number of us do it. Um, you know, I gave the example on the TED stage of um, the word awesome, which, you know, unfortunately, your your great country has uh, <laughs> made almost worthless. Uh -huh. You know, if, if a pair of trainers, awesome. how do you describe that amazing? Awesome <laughs> means striking awe into your heart. Really? You feel awestruck by those trainers? Totally. I don't think so. So there's a kind of language inflation going on. Uh -huh. Once upon a time, it was to be excited. Now we have to be Super excited, don't we? <laughs> right. Um, probably in a few years, it'll have to be hyper excited or mega excited or super duper excited <laughs> or something. So this kind of inflation with language is rather unfortunate. Words like fantastic, amazing, you know, stunning, they actually had meanings once and now they all just mean good, mm -hmm. which is a shame, I think. Mm -hmm. So we've lost something there. I'm um, totally a of violator of using those words. 
totally a violator. <laughs> uh, well, I don't totally, but um, perhaps some from time to time you might be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it, the thing is, if we get into the habit of hyperbole, of, of throwing beyond, of, of bigging up everything that we say, there is a tendency to, to move into lying and you know that is more of a murky area so great exercise uh, i challenge anybody watching this listening to this a great exercise just for a day for an hour for a few minutes say exactly what you mean without any amplification without turning it up to 11 say exactly what you mean mm. and see how that goes for you you probably sound a little bit mild these days but it's a great exercise to kind of re-establish a baseline and get back to not having everything having to be awesome, amazing, incredible, um, and so forth. So that's exaggeration. Uh, then we have excuses. Not my fault. It was this, it was that, mm. uh, you know, that, that great scene from the Blues Brothers where John Belushi is <laughs> explaining why he didn't get married to, to um, the, the, brilliant. You know, he ends up with locusts. <laughs> um, so, you know, Excuse is not great because if you're endlessly making excuses, if you're what I can often call a blame thrower, it's always somebody else's fault, then you don't learn anything. Mm-hmm. If you can take it on and say, I did wrong, it was my fault, and what I'm going to do is change this in the future so it doesn't happen again, then yeah. you've made an improvement, haven't you? Yeah. And next don't like time blame you throwers. go around the you're a bit. Absolutely. Um, so that's uh, excuses. Um, I think we're on to the final one now, which is dogmatism. And that is my way or the highway. Mm. And this is now, I have to say, a global a disease. Um, we have lost contact with the differentiation between opinion and fact. There's so much false stuff out there that fact is hard to establish, even if you want to. Mm-hmm. But most people aren't bothering to at all and this haze between opinion and fact is causing so much conflict in the world um i'm not talking about people believing the wrong thing you know uh, like putin's version of russian and ukrainian history is nonsense but he believes it so he believes that's a fact and that's driven this awful invasion mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not talking so much about that. If people believe things are facts, they're just wrong and they need to be educated. But it's when we we take on board opinions that we have on the basis of no evidence whatsoever and thump the table and insist that they're true. Well, there's no challenge in that. And of course, a lot of growth is about challenge. You know, you have thesis antithesis, and they put together to create synthesis, which is how we grow all the time. But most of us, unfortunately, don't go out onto the internet to seek challenge, do we? We go out onto the internet to seek affirmation. There you are. I knew I was right. Thousands of people agree with me. Yeah, yeah, but millions don't. (laughs) But you're not looking at them. So, you know, I, I think this is at the root of so much problem, so many problems we've got in the world. Polarization, um, you know, silos of entrenched opinion, extremism, you know, um, lunacy, lunatic, lunatic conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. all of this stuff, which is being amplified by the ability of the internet to create these ghettos and bring 
together people who have extreme views and who reinforce each other and never seek challenge or difference. So it's a really big problem. Yeah. And uh, so I think we've got to be very careful about dogmatism in the world at the moment. So there you are, seven deadly sins speaking, right. which can get in the way. They're holes in your pocket. Yeah, seven things we should all avoid when speaking that I think will cause others to tune us out and make us less heard. You mentioned hail, and hail is the four cornerstones of powerful speech. Can you walk us through hail and how we can implement those four cornerstones to make our speech as powerful as possible? Sure. It's another lovely acronym. Um, and this one also means to greet or acclaim enthusiastically, which is quite nice. So as in hail Caesar. Um, the H stands for honesty. And by honesty, I mean being clear and straight in what you say, not obfuscating, not using huge words where small ones will do, uh, ideally not using jargon, not trying to impress people by confusing them. Um, so being clear and straight in what you say. As I said earlier, it may need to be tempered. I'm not talking about being absolutely honest all the time, like a um, was it in Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein, I think uh, he had a, a person who was a truth-sayer who had to say the absolute truth at all times mm. and only the truth. Well, not necessarily that far. But being clear and straight all the time is a great direction to point in, you know, and these things are not all, um, yeah, they're, they're not an impeccable standard. I'm not talking about perfectionism across all of these things. I'm talking about pointing in this direction, having this intention, and it will help a great deal. The A of Hale is authenticity. And that is to say, being yourself. It's a lot more difficult to try and be somebody else a lot of the time. We all have a tendency to be a bit chameleon-like. I mean, you won't necessarily use the same language with your grandparents as you would with your young friends. Uh, you might speak in different ways. You know, there might be profanity in one place with the grandparents, but not with the young friends. You know, uh, all sorts of things can change. Um, but as long as you're being authentically you, you know, we have different aspects to our character. That's how we are as human beings. We're complex and multifaceted, but not pretending to be somebody else. And that's much more difficult to carry. Um, and, uh, you know, on stage, you can generally see if somebody's doing that, uh, not generating themselves, but trying to be somebody else. Unless you're an actor, of course, or you're doing it for a reason, if it's intentional. Mm -hmm. So authenticity, be yourself, it's great. The I, integrity, be your word. If you say it, you do it. If you say it, it happens. Well, that's powerful speaking. I remember a long, long time ago, I went to, in, I was in India and I went to the abandoned city of Fatipur Sikri, which is where the Mughal emperors were for several decades till apparently the water supply ran out and they just left it. So it's all standing there. You can go and stand in the Mughal emperor's throne room and sit in his seat, which is where he would dispense justice. You know, that person to be yeah. torn apart by elephants, this person to be given an estate, whatever it would be, oh whatever he said. Yeah. And it's quite spooky to be sitting there thinking, you know, a few hundred years ago, I would have been 
murdered without getting anywhere near this uh-huh. this place and the power that was there. Now, of course, if you're somebody who says it and then it never happens, your words start to evaporate like puddles in the sun. People just don't take you seriously at all. So it's important to have integrity uh, to do what you say. And the L of hail is love. And that's the thing that tempers the honesty. So you can be kind, not necessarily say that thing, maybe true, but doesn't need to be said, or say a thing with kindness, as mm. opposed to, you know, just blunt, uh, brutal honesty. And I'm talking about um, wishing people well here. From Fundamentally, it's not romantic love I'm talking about. It's what uh, Christians would call agape. Uh, it's it's a, a, what loving kindness. So it's a, it's wishing people well. Mm-hmm. I had a, a great mentor years ago who taught me a great exercise for this, which counteracts the way we often walk around, you know, in a city, people get in your way and you think, get out of my way, you idiot, and you you ugly this and you fat that and whatever it might be, the rude, really rude things in our heads. And of course, if you meet somebody's eye, when you're thinking that kind of thing, you immediately look away. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's not a nice way to be. The counteraction to that is to practice thinking the words, bless you, as you ah. walk about, or I wish you well if too religious. I'm not talking about religious bless you, simply blessing people, wishing them well. Mm. And the effect is magical. And if you do that for a little while in a city, you'll start feeling like you're walking a foot above the ground. You meet people's eye, you smile at each other, yeah. you make a connection. You know, you're happy and, a, you know, part of the human race, not this antagonistic, you know, um, negative energy that, that uh, we can get into so easily. So bless you, person who just got in my way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot nicer way to walk around. So love yeah wishing people well and if you're on stage that's critical because the biggest thing to remember about talking on a stage it's not about you that is fundamental so many people get this wrong and it becomes about me wanting to be loved me wanting to be you know yeah. get get lots of affirmation and applause me wanting to impress the socks off people me wanting to look great it's not about me. It's about the gift I can give to those people. It's about them, and it's about wishing them well and wanting to do a good job for them. Mm-hmm. So when you do your wedding speech, Patrick, what your your motivation there is to give them a great time, to let them have some insight into this couple or or the probably the groom in your case, yeah. and and to you know let them have and so forth just to give them a nice time yeah and if you focus on that and not looking impressive it's so much easier i love it so that fail yeah that that's a really cool way to think about it well such great advice for the the cornerstones of powerful speech with hail you also mentioned the toolbox and these are some things i think that can really enhance the way that we come off when we're speaking again, and whether it's a big talk or whether it's just a, a normal conversation. And I've found when I am training folks at our company to go in and give presentations, these tend to be harder to teach than some of the points, the, the principles that we went through earlier. 
And the the notes I have written down are register, timbre, prosody, pace, silence, pitch, volume. Can you walk through some of these tools and let the audience know how they can use them when they are, are giving some sort of talk or having some sort of conversation? Sure. Well, breathing and posture are two of the important tools in the toolbox, actually. And so it is worth developing a breathing practice and working on posture so that your vocal cords need to be vertical. You know, we do a lot of speaking on phones, for example, where we're leaning forward like this at a desk and I am now stretching my vocal cords and it's harder to make them sound good. Of course, if you put your head right back in your chest like this, you're mm. compressing your vocal cords. So you want your vocal cords to be vertical. And that's why good posture is really going to help. So breathing, posture, worth working on. And of course, gesture helps. There's a whole piece on body language, on gestures, on movement, which, um, you know, that that's the people have written whole books on that. And there are some very good ones out there. So it's worth investigating those things as well and finding your own style. You know, am I a hand-waving person or am I very still yeah. and very focused? And so how do you do that? The one gesture I would say try to avoid uh, is one that's very common. So I'll mention it because a lot of people make this mistake. It's an open-handed gesture. So having your hands out like that at waist level, where I've now got them, that's a begging gesture. Ah. You're saying, I haven't got any... I'm harmless, please, please. You know, if you're saying, please give generously, that's entirely appropriate. Uh But if you're saying, we are going to win this fight with your hands like that, you're giving a completely mixed message. Uh Politicians like to wave their hands in front of them aimlessly as they're speaking. All you need to do is turn the thumbs vertical and you have a completely different gesture. And you'll see politicians talking like this a great deal with their hands vertical. If they were yeah. talking like this, it would give a completely different message. And for, so for the folks that are for the folks that are just listening, so you the the first gesture that Julian's talking about is like you don't want to have your hand your palms facing forward by your waist, uh, because it almost looks like and you're up. begging, right? End up and palms up. That that's open-handed and it's uh, it's it's not a strong gesture. And then, so so your advice so would be just to put, turn them in. Yeah, put the thumbs on the top. Have the fingers vertical in in that sense. You know, your hands vertical, not um, flat, with the palms up. And uh, that's that's a perfectly neutral gesture. A Got lot it. of people will do that. So that's something on gesture. Um, well, let, let's talk about uh, the tone of the voice, the pitch. Mm. And there's a couple of things there. Uh, First of all, there is where you resonate from without getting into register. I mean, the technicalities of register. uh, There's where you resonate your voice from. Of course, your voice is all made in the vocal cords in your throat. However, you have a lot of resonating chambers. And with practice, you can change where you're resonating from. And it's worth practicing this because if you resonate up in your nose like this, have a very light voice. And if I go into my throat, that's, you know, where most people will talk from most of the time. I'm just resonating in my throat. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I go down and resonate in my chest, you can hear the difference immediately. Now, the chest is large. It's a big resonating um, cavity, if you like. And uh, you can practice doing this by speaking 
I'm putting your fingers on your sternum, which is your chest bone okay. in the middle of your chest. Yeah. And as you're speaking, seek to vibrate, to feel oh. the vibration of your voice in your fingers. Okay. And you'll naturally start from down here into the chest. Right. Why is that important? Because deep voices are taken more seriously than high voices. Yeah. You mentioned that the most politicians that, are... Most politicians that we elect have deeper voices, right? Well, it, the, yes. Technically, the research showed that we tend to vote, other things being equal, we will vote for politicians with deeper voices. And mm -hmm. certainly Margaret Thatcher, the ex-Prime Minister of Britain, had vocal coaching to take her voice down two tones because she felt she would be taken more seriously when mm -hmm. she was speaking in the Houses of Parliament. Uh, so, you know, the reason for this is, is fairly obvious. Big things have deeper voices than little things. Elephants, deeper than mice. And you need to worry more about big things than you do about little things because they tend to be a lot more serious and dangerous. Yeah. So we have this connection that deep voices are more to be taken seriously. And uh, obviously, you know, people have different physical capabilities, but we can all try to resonate in our chest and, mm. you know, we're not all going to get to James or Jones right down here, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and some people have got great light voices up here, but they can, you can practice and practice. And you can certainly get the most out of the equipment you've been given uh, and resonate as much as possible in the chest. Um, not all the time. And, don't, you know, don't make it unreal and unrealistic <laughs> and go around speaking like this because people won't take you very seriously. Right. It's like Elizabeth so it's Holmes. Just a question of doing that I, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. Oh, yeah. I met her once at uh, TED Med. Really? That, when that thing was all the rage. Yes. Wow. Um, so uh, that's something about pitch, getting your pitch, you know, uh, to be more authoritative, if mm -hmm. you like. Mm -hmm. And then the other great thing about pitch, of course, is prosody or prosody uh, or intonation, the intonation part. Prosody is everything about how you speak. It's it's not just the intonation, it's the gaps, the pacing and so forth, but uh, in between the words. But um, I tend to think of it as the sing song. And it's such an important part of speech. You know, if I speak on one note the whole time, it's rather less interesting than if I move my voice about. And there's a reason why we call that monotonous. It's monotone. Mm -hmm. Is monotonous. It's boring to have no prosody. Yeah. Now, it varies country to country, and it varies culture to culture, and it varies very much person to person. If you're somebody who's got restrictive prosody, and you tend to talk in this way the whole time, and that's how you talk, and your range is very limited, you are going to have trouble inspiring people. Right. So my advice on this is to practice wildly extending your range. It's like any muscle, you know, if you want to uh, be become stronger or more limber, more flexible, you have to practice, and you get better a little bit at a time. Yeah. It's the same with your prosody. Okay. So you can... Take out a book and read it with wild prosody. They go up and down like this, completely mad, you know, and really go for it. Because then what will happen is your natural range will come out and out and out, and you'll start to get more expressive in what you say. That's a very uh, cool some people exercise. Have got, I was going to yeah, say, Julian, um, you mentioned other cultures. 
And uh, like mm-hmm. one one that came to mind, and you you mentioned, um, I want to say it's repetitive prosody, where a lot of stuff mm-hmm. sounds like questions. It's a statement, but yeah. it sounds like a question. And the first thing that came to mind is some friends that are Australian. It's like so many, mm-hmm. so much of what they're saying came off like a question, but it was really a statement. I'm not sure if that's something mm-hmm. that um, that you've seen as well. Oh, big time. Oh, there are two things I would discourage. Uh, if we're talking about kind of register and um, um, uh, and the way that you're speaking. One of them is that it's called high rising terminal, where every sentence is said as if it were a question. Mm-hmm. Um, the other name for it, incidentally, is Australian questioning intonation. So it, it did originate probably in Australia. It's now become very popular on the West Coast of America and California and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the reason I would discourage it, well, the two reasons, actually. First, because it's repetitive. And that's unfortunate because repetitive cadences are less expressive. They, you know, you, your palate is restricted. If you're doing the same thing every time, you don't have the ability to get your meaning across quite in the same way. So repetitive. And the second is that it's weak mm-hmm. because what's happening there, as you end there and every statement as if it were a question, is you're kind of eliding a little, is that okay? Is that all right with you? Do you understand? So it's always this little question that's happening at the end of every single sentence. And it doesn't come across as a powerful way to speak. You wouldn't find a great leader, um, you know, standing on a stage and speaking in that way because it's questioning. And questions, which are wonderful things in conversation, uh, are very powerful. And if you're asking this little kind of unknown question the whole time, robs your your speaking of of a lot of power the other kind of intonation um or it's a register really which i would strongly advise people to avoid is vocal fry which also has become very common on the west coast of america Mm. and unfortunately uh, really throughout the world i i bump into people i would say i mean i I, it's just my experience, and I may be wrong on this, more among women than among men, more among females than males. Okay. Um, I I tend to hear it. And what I mean by vocal fry is speaking like this. is very croaky. So ending uh, every stint, you know, like that, croakiness. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's great. <laughs> well, for me, it doesn't sound particularly interesting, uh, but I do hear a lot of people talking like that. And if you want to check it out, there's tons of examples on YouTube of vocal fry. Again, I would suggest if you're in the habit of speaking like that, try to get out of it. Um, two reasons. One, it's not great for your voice and you're, you're really demeaning a, an amazing instrument. You know, what I talk about this instrument, we all play the human voice is astounding. It's wonderful. And it's a shame to be talking like that. You know, you're not exploring what it can do. But secondly, the research is now quite clear that people speaking with vocal fry are considered to be less intelligent, less employable, Hmm. and uh, less convincing than people who do not do vocal fry. So again, it's a form of speaking which is not doing you any favors, whether you're in a job interview proposing marriage best not to vocal fry okay great 
Well, do you want me to go on with some of the tools? I, I uh, would love to hear you talk about broadcasting because I think that broadcasting is something that we're kind of taught to do when giving presentations and projecting your voice, but I know you talk about doing it too much. It can have a negative impact on what people are hearing and um, them being able to digest what you're saying. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, if you're talking here about volume, really, which is a very important thing to be conscious of. So yeah. the message behind all of this really is to be conscious of the tools. Most people don't even think about having a toolbox for their voice. Become conscious of them and start to practice with them. And then you can find your own way. You can find the best way to be you with your voice, which may not be how you've always spoken. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we pick these things up. I mean, I think it's a tragedy. I, I was talking about this, that, you know, we teach reading and writing in school and it's a, you know, it, it's a national scandal if children leave school unable to read or write. Mm -hmm. We don't teach speaking and um, not at all do we teach listening, which is bonkers to me because these two skills are absolutely fundamental in determining our outcomes in life, our happiness, our effectiveness, our well-being. And yet we're expected to pick them up along the way without any formal teaching at all. Uh, it's just yeah. mad. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I think um, volume is a good example of this where you get some people are just loud the whole time, you know, and other people. I've had people in, in seminars I've given where I've been coaching people and they said, yeah, I am shouting. This is as loud as I can speak. Well, <laughs> probably not. It's a question of never having practiced and it's a question of probably having been suppressed a lot in life. And that the loud person, maybe there's a reason that person's so loud. They might be partly deaf or they might have hearing problems. Maybe they can't hear what they're doing or maybe they've had to be like that. They've been in a family of 15 and had to shout for everything. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, there's always a backstory in these things. The important thing is to be conscious of the effect you're having on other people. So it's not just, again, about you. It's about getting the ball over the net. Yeah. It's about connecting. It's about relating. It's about you know inspiring or teaching or entertaining or whatever it might be that you want to do with somebody else are you doing it in a way that they can understand which is where i i talk a lot in my course in my book i talk about speaking into a listening it's a fundamental concept there's always a listening you know and we've been focusing very much on my ted talk on speaking which was the fifth one I did, mm -hmm. but I did a TED talk on listening um, two before two years before that, and there I was talking about this that we all listen through filters, and everybody's filters are different. So it's a fundamental mistake that so many people make to assume everybody listens like I do. They don't. Every mm -hmm. individual's listening is different. And our listening changes over time. You know, it's different at nine in the morning to the way it is at five. It's different after you've had great news compared to after you've had terrible news. Different if you've had a good sleep to if you're really tired and so forth. So when you're speaking, the question to ask yourself is, what's the listening? What's the listening I'm speaking into? Yeah. Is this a person who's very slow? And therefore, I should just slow down a little bit. Because mm -hmm. if I speak like this to somebody who's really, really slow, they just going to go, whoa, it's too fast. I can't understand you. So yeah. what's the listening? It's kind of polite. It's how you hit the bullseye instead of missing the target altogether in your speaking. It's by asking that very important question. Julian, and that's true with volume. 
I was going to say, you have such great content on listening. I think that um, it could fill an entire episode, but I highly recommend that anyone that is in the audience right now go and listen to Julian's TED Talk on how to be a better listener. Is that what it's titled? Uh, it's five practices for conscious listening, I think, or something okay. like that. Okay. Um, but it's it. Yeah, it's the third one. Uh, and to me, listening is even more important than speaking. Mm-hmm. It, it, in in connection with other people, it's very difficult to be a brilliant speaker if you are not also a good listener. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, I think, is the most important that's so eroded and absent in, in much of the world today politicians meet to have talks. I wish they would meet and have listens instead. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think it's the most important sales tool in general and it, it probably the most underrated as well. Um, but Julian, I know we're, Without doubt. we're, we're running up on time a little bit here. The final like major question I wanted to ask you is you have the number seven most viewed Ted talk of all time. Obviously, you are an expert on speech and on presenting, but is there any secret sauce that you think caused that to be more viewed than your other TED Talks, or why do you think it is so popular beyond some of the content that was included in that TED Talk? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I mean, the, the, the topic itself would be partly to do with that. It's interesting that the TED talk I gave about speaking has been seen by five times as many people as the TED talk on listening. So we are more interested in sending than in receiving. We're more interested in being understood than understanding. And therein lies, I think, a great challenge for all of us. Uh, You know, the old Epictetus uh, comment about we have two ears and one mouth very much still Uh, is something we need to think about, I think. Mm. So the topic was part of it. Um, In terms of the delivery, well, I did all the things that we've been talking about, PPD, big time. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, I did a video with um, a guy called Neil Gordon, who's a top US speaker coach who works with a lot of public speakers. So we we picked that talk apart and created, I think it was about a 20 minute video where we kept stopping it and saying, okay, what I did there was this, and the reason that worked is uh-huh. this and so forth. So anybody's interested in that, if you swing by juliantreasure.com, that's freely available. It's a download there. You can watch that video and um, kind of unpick the, the things that perhaps made that talk so successful. Very cool. I didn't know that. I'll have to do that uh, when I have some free time coming up here. Mm. Um, but, uh, Julian, I also want to be respectful of your time. I know we're coming up on the hour here before we jump into the the last five rapid fire questions. You mentioned that people can find you at juliantreasure.com. Is there anything, I know you have a, a book that you're working on as well that you're going to be coming out with in the future. Is there anything you want to say on that book? Well, it's, that's, that'll be my third book. The first one was Sound Business, which for anybody who's in business is quite useful. It's all about using sound for profit in business. Sound is very powerful. It's what I'm all about, really. So everything I do is about sound. Uh, the second book is called, um, uh, I've just forgotten the name of my own book. Hold on a second. <laughs> um, 
It's called How to Be Heard. And uh, that book is very much about what we've been talking about, uh, which is the skills of speaking and listening. And it's the same content that really that's in my uh, seven and a half hour course. Um, so those two books exist. And I'm, you're right, very thrilled that I'm about to start writing a third book, which will be all about sound and how important it is, how it affects us, why we should be listening to it and all the different types of sound there are in the world and indeed in the universe to listen to uh, through history as well. So it's going to be, it's my life's work really. I'm really excited about taking that one on. Uh, more um, about that in the coming months, I guess. Uh, I think it'll probably, I mean, this is the first time I've talked about it. It'll probably be officially announced in a couple of months time. Great. Well, that's very exciting. And we will have to have you on again to uh, talk about some of the highlights of, of that book as well, because I think it could be super applicable to the insurance world. But with that said, sure. I think we should jump, jump into these uh, rapid fire questions because I'm super interested to get your responses here. If you're ready, I can dive in. Okay, shoot. First question, who is your favorite speaker of all time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would have to say Ken Robinson. I had the honor of meeting Sir Ken Robinson before he tragically died. And I think that TED Talk's number one for a very good reason. And the story he tells about the little girl uh, drawing a picture of God. I mean, if it, guys, if you haven't seen this, go see it. Okay. There's a reason that's number one of all time. Yeah, Ken. I, I haven't seen it. I, I, I will definitely check it out. Okay. Brilliant. Question number two. Which of your books would you recommend to folks that are working in the insurance world? Probably sound business. Well, both. I mean, it depends. Uh, sound business, if you're, I mean, in audio branding, I run a company called The Sound Agency, have done for 20 years. It's all about uh, the sound of customer experience and the sound branding uh, which is now becoming de rigueur. So there's not many big brands out there that haven't thought about sound now and aren't using it with sonic logos or music or whatever it might be. Um, you know, sound carefully designed sound in spaces. So the first book, Sound Business, is all about that from a business perspective. If you're a business manager, it's very interesting. Um, and I would point you in the direction of telephone sound. There's a chapter in there about telephone sound, which I think is losing trillions of dollars a year mm. all over the world. Press one for this, press two for that. How many people have become frustrated? All of us put our hands up with those stupid systems designed not by marketing people, never secret shopped, never uh -huh. tested. Uh -huh. And, you know, older people hate them. We have aging demographics everywhere in the world. So, yeah, sound business for all that stuff. But if you're talking about selling, which in insurance is quite an important profession, mm -hmm. um, or listening to customer, customer complaints, then um, how to be heard very much so. Because as you rightly said, Patrick, the most important part of selling is listening. Mm -hmm. And th there's a lot about listening and how to be heard, which we haven't had time to talk about. So uh, get them both. Okay, wonderful. Question number three, what is the best part of giving a TED Talk? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I love all the elements of it, preparing it, 
um, the people that you meet and connect with. I would say that probably because um, there's a great connection on a TED stage and you can see that in my final TED talk. I mean, it was the fifth one in five years. So I really knew what I was doing by then. And um, June, who was running that part of TED, uh, introduced me as, uh, it was called TED University that particular element of TED, uh, as I'd done five times. And she said, Tech University, rock star, Julian Treasure. So I was feeling very confident. And the connection I got with the audience was tremendous. I mean, I knew quite a lot of them by then. Mm-hmm. But even if I had been first timer, giving a talk, it opens so many connections. And that's what TED is all about. If you go to TED, I mean, it's not cheap. Um, and people said to Chris, you're mad if you put these videos on, nobody will go. Mm-hmm. And the opposite happened. And the reason for that is because not only do you see the talks, which you can see online, I mean, that's that's fine. There is that moment, but you get to speak to them afterwards. You get to relate. And so TED is all about connection with other people and with ideas. Uh, so it would be the connection, I think, was the best part of all my TED Talks. Okay, cool. That's actually a perfect transition to the next question, which on your... TED Talk, how to speak so that people want to listen. You have almost 10,000 comments. Is there any comment that really? stands out to you? Uh, Do you know what? I Not to read comments. Are you talking about on the TED website or on YouTube? Oh, I'm talking about YouTube. Okay. I don't read YouTube comments. <laughs> Probably for the best. And, um, yes. Uh, I mean, I'm sure lots of them are very nice, but uh, you do get a lot of trolling on in the comment sections. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try not to read them. I do get seduced into, I read the Times newspaper online every day, and I do mm-hmm. get sometimes seduced into going down into comment sections, which hopefully are relatively intelligent, but you still get lots of people being rude and offensive and aggressive and, and mm-hmm. so forth, even with the bots trying to remove all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sorry, I don't read comments. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> probably a good practice to have uh, when you have such a popular video like your TED Talk. Final question here. Do you have a favorite leader or politician based on their speaking ability? Is there someone that stands out that is a, a leader that... Um, could be present now or maybe in the past that you think is a, a speaker that we should take as a good example of someone who who can be emulated? That is tough because I have to say uh, that the, today's crop of politicians are somewhere short of inspiring generally. Mm-hmm. And uh, not Agreed. just in not just in how they, but in what they say, mm-hmm. uh, it's become you know it, politics has become mudslinging. We, we're just about to have a contest for a new prime minister in the UK, and they've already started. They're tearing each other apart, and it's just it's rather sad yeah. to see that that's the way people compete now is by throwing mud at other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're talking about rhetoric then there were politicians 20 or 30 years ago who were quite good. Um, Dennis Healy, who was the 
famous uh, chancellor in the Labour Party described a conservative opponent uh, who had just stood up and attacked him in Parliament. He said that was a little bit like being savaged by a dead sheep. <laughs> so there was a lot of there was a lot of wit that was used in those days, um, and indeed rhetoric. But we've gone a long way from the days when people used to sit and listen to a politician speak for ten or twenty minutes. Now sound bites rule the day. So I'm trying to think of. I mean, you know, you can think of the great speakers of the past. Winston Churchill, although undeniably not a very nice man in many ways, mm -hmm. um, a brilliant speaker who came out with some amazing, uh, memorable phrases. Um, so yes, it's it's hard to think of anybody in the world at the moment uh, who is particularly inspiring mm -hmm. in the way they speak. Anybody who focuses on the positive, uh, on uplifting and inspiring people as opposed to being negative, destructive and so forth. So let's just say Winston Churchill then, and, you know, with the proviso that he had many faults, he certainly mm -hmm. could speak. Well said. Well said. Well, Julian, thank you so much for spending the time with me. I think that we have, there's so much more to uncover in terms of the content that you have when it comes to listening, your new book, um, and some of the topics that you go deep on in general. So would love to have you back on and, um, I think this is an excellent place to wrap up, but I just have to say thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a very fun, interesting conversation. So uh, I'd be delighted to come back and go on. All right. Thanks, Julian. I'll talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Please download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And feel free to reach out to me at pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose First as your primary financing source and experience the first difference today. 